0: Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. Well, as always, it is a tremendous blessing to be here with you. those of you joining us for the first time, my name is Matt Harmon. I have the great privilege of pastoring here at Montrose Bible Church. Last week, as we continued our sermon series from the book of Matthew, we saw one of many confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. As their hostilities grew, the Pharisees and the scribes journeyed from Jerusalem to Gennesaret to oppose Christ and the unconventional ways of his disciples. They accused him, saying, Why do your disciples eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why don't they fast like we do? Why do they not observe our Sabbath day of rest? Or as we heard in the beginning of Matthew chapter 15, why do they eat with impure hands? These were not innocent questions they posed, but sharp critical attacks Meant to show the superiority of, well, themselves over this self-proclaimed prophet of the people. If you won't do things our way, then you must be an enemy of our Lord. To which Jesus replies, Guys, you're just not getting it. Sure, you honor God with your lips and your rituals and your routines, but your heart couldn't be farther from him. And that type of hypocrisy renders your worship meaningless, useless, altogether in vain. Now, of course, some hearing those words Would be convicted by them. They'd examine their hearts to see. If indeed what he was saying was so. As all of us ought to do before the Lord. But most who heard Jesus rebuke. Grew even more cynical and hard of heart. Well 2,000 years later. And those continue to be the two. Responses. To the word of God that upon hearing it proclaimed, one will either be brought under conviction and move to repentance or reject his words and move away. Sadly, rejection is the far more popular response. Cultivating the same animosity in the hearts of man today as we see in that of the religious leaders of the first century. The spirit of increased tension. Well, that has a lot to do with Jesus' next move. As we see him depart from the accusations, depart from the crowds, depart from the confines of Israel for the first and only time in his adult life. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 15. And follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Ture and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, "O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, Blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. May the God of Israel bless the reading of his word. Now, as Jesus crosses. Boundary lines and interacts with the Gentile people now. We learn something about the nature of his gospel message. Though he came to the lost sheep of Israel almost exclusively, there's more than enough Christ to go around. <laughs> and those who evidence genuine faith can receive him, no matter their location, their situation, or their circumstance. And that's what we see in this morning's text. The transcendence of true faith. First, we learn that no matter where one may find themselves, true faith will recognize the presence of Christ. We'll take a look back at verse 21. Jesus went away from there, withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. Well, as this is the first and only time we know of that Christ left the geographical borders of ancient Israel, it may help us to visualize his travels on a map. Now, as was described for us previously, after coming to meet the disciples in the middle of the sea, their boat came to shore in the town of Gennesaret somewhere between Gennesaret and Capernaum, Jesus was confronted by the group of scribes. Well, that's where we were last week. But following his discourse on purity, Jesus and his disciples traveled 20 to 30 miles northwest from Gennesaret, Capernaum, to the region of Ture. Now, from what we know of that place, It's fair to say that Ture and Sidon represented the most extreme expression of paganism and idolatry that a Hebrew could ever encounter. These were well-traveled port cities and they had become major centers of worship to the fertility goddess Ashtoreth, who is mentioned several times elsewhere in the scriptures Now, considering its abounding heathenism, we might wonder why the Lord took this journey at all. Well, his destination may seem a bit odd to us, but let me suggest a few reasons he may have felt compelled to leave Israel at this particular point in his ministry. Now, based on our recent studies, we know that a group of zealots had begun plans to take Jesus by force and make him... Their king. And yet Jesus had no intention of ever sitting on an earthly throne. So perhaps he would have removed himself to avoid that problem. And bring their expectations back in line with his reality. While some were advocating the use of force to put him in the political arena. Others would have loved to take him by force. So he wouldn't have any more influence in their affairs whether threats from the chief priest from Herod Antipas from these Pharisees or others like them Jesus was at this point a wanted man and rather than push for the ultimate showdown before its time he sought temporary shelter somewhere else and as if all of that were not enough Jesus may have taken his band of brothers northward to give them just a small glimpse of their future ministry as bearers of good news to the lowly Gentiles. For some or all of these reasons, Jesus decided to leave Gennesaret behind and head to the town of Ture. And though he were not trying to create a commotion... His presence is recognized immediately. If that were not obvious from Matthew's account, well, Mark makes it all the more clear to us. There we are told Jesus got up and went away to the region of Tyre, and when he entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. No, I... Don't imagine Christ ever could. See, when Jesus is somewhere, there's a buzz to it. There's a stirring, a certain excitement, and a recognized difference in the way that that place feels. Especially for those men and women of faith. I mean, even if they had never laid eyes on the man before. They recognize the presence of Christ. Isn't that what we see in this encounter with the Canaanite mother? She gets herself to the feet of Jesus and cries out to him, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is in need of you. Even in the most pagan of places, like the ones that we showed you on the map, there's a marked difference When Jesus arrives on the scene. And the faithful. Will always stop what they're doing. And take notice. Yeah. No matter the location or the circumstance. True faith recognizes the presence of Christ. Well, True faith demonstrates. Extraordinary persistence. As well. Take a look back at verse 23. The woman from that region cried out to the Lord for mercy, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away already because she keeps on shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, Help me. Now it is not exactly clear how or to what extent this Gentile woman knows about Jesus. Elsewhere in the gospel record, we're told that in the early days of his ministry, a great number of people heard of all that Jesus was doing and came to him, including many from the vicinity of Ture and Sidon. And so it is conceivable that this woman was part of that crowd who heard Christ's teaching firsthand. More likely, I suppose, that others would have brought word of him back to her when they returned home from their travels. Either way, she certainly seems to know something about Christ, falling at his feet and pleading with him to cast out her daughter's demon and this is no one time request now the woman kept asking and kept asking and shouted at the disciples and then asked again she had such great faith and such great need that nothing was going to keep her away from Jesus. She came boldly, she came humbly, and she came persistently. And you know what, friends? That's how we ought to come to the Lord, too. Boldly having confidence in the unmatched abilities of Jesus Christ. Humbly knowing we are altogether unworthy to be in his presence. Persistently. Because he is without a doubt our only hope in this world. When Jesus did not respond to her cry immediately. The disciples assumed That he wanted her gone. But they had it backwards. He was silent not so she would stop her pleading. No, he was silent to see how long she would keep it up. And maybe that's why you don't have the answer to that question that you've asked him. The prayer that you've been praying the request that you've made because he wants you to come again and again without ceasing until the lord chooses to respond trans christ is not looking to attract followers who leave him easily when they're disappointed Christ is not looking to attract people who head for the door at the slightest offense. Christ is not looking for people who abandon his mission when they don't get what they want immediately. Christ is looking for people who will endure hardship. Who will stand in the midst of adversity and persevere all the way to the end. And the disciples, they had it up to here with this woman. But she is precisely the kind of follower that Jesus wants in his company. And I can't help but wonder if he would find that same level of persistence in any of us. You know, I have a pastor friend who talked about the difficulties that he's had in leading his own children to Christ. He struggled so much because he wanted to make sure they weren't coming just in order to please him. That they weren't professing Christ because they were expected to. That they weren't only interested because they were pressured into it by the church. So he purposefully did not jump on their initial claims to faith. Instead, he lovingly and gently resisted, pushing them back ever so slightly so as to challenge them and their true motivation. As one who has been in that situation, I know it is not our natural tendency to do that with our kids. Now, we want to celebrate when they just give the slightest tiny acknowledgement. But you know, if they really have faith, or to put it another way, if they have real faith, they won't come asking only once. They won't profess his name a single time as though we have to take advantage in that one moment. No, they'll be back again and again and again. With a stronger belief. A deeper resolve. A greater sense of conviction. And then as a parent. I can know that their confession. Is genuine. And it is true. Matthew will go on to say. In chapter 24. That the one who endures to the end. He. Will be saved. A statement that proves true. In the life of this Syrophoenician woman. Who came not once, not twice, but over and over to the feet of the Lord Jesus. Interestingly enough, she had absolutely no right to even be there. Let alone to carry on the way that she did. See, when the gospel writers take time to identify a person's race or heritage, they do so for a reason. In this particular case, Matthew is telling us just how many things she had going against her as she attempted to reach the Lord. First, she was a woman, which in their cultural setting would have afforded her much less of an opportunity than males. She would not have been permitted to even speak like some, to someone like Jesus in a public forum. Not only that, she is a Canaanite, we are told those descendants of Israel's ancient enemies, decidedly outside the Jewish faith. And she hailed from the Syrian-controlled province of Phoenicia, which had a less than stellar reputation among the peoples of their day. At face value, these issues seem insurmountable. But the Lord does not take things at face value. He's looking at faith value. And as we've learned, true faith recognizes the presence of Christ. True faith demonstrates extraordinary persistence. And true faith transcends every boundary and limitation. Take a look at verse 24 again. Jesus answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Now when we first read of Jesus' reply here, it seems to us rather harsh. But if we will stop to consider this for a moment, we will realize that there was tremendous compassion being given in this illustration. By drawing a distinction between children and dogs, Jesus is speaking about Jews and Gentiles. For a thousand years or more, the Jewish people have been known as the children of God. And they regularly would have used the term dogs to demean everyone else. These terms would have been widely understood by those that Jesus was speaking to in the early part of the first century, including the people of Ture and Sidon. But there were two different Hebrew words for dog. Kuon, which was typically used of the Gentiles, describes a mangy filthy, impure mongrel that roamed the streets eating garbage and carrying disease. There's no doubt most Jews would have used that word in reference to the Syrophoenician woman. But not Jesus. He used the word Kunarion, talking not about the worthless beast roaming the streets, but the little puppy who gets invited into The home. Now, Jesus acknowledges there is a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, but it's not a difference in importance. It's not a difference in value. It's not a difference in worth. It's just a difference in priority. Here Jesus tells the woman very clearly, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's my primary responsibility. It's the main purpose for which I am here. So they are going to be fed first. In fact, that's just what Mark recalls in his parallel account. That Jesus said, Let the children be satisfied first. Now again, we hear that and think, oh, I can't believe Jesus is pushing this woman aside like that. No, but isn't it remarkable what a little hope will do to a person's hearing? This woman is so excited about the Lord. She doesn't take this to be offensive. All she hears of what Mark said, well, is the word first. First. Because if there is a first group of people to receive food. Then there must be a second group who get to eat as well. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He says you're not of the house of Israel. They've got to hear about salvation first. Then salvation is coming to the likes of you. That's the order of the gospel. As Paul outlines it in Romans chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, yes, but then also to the Greek. Our 21st century sensibilities immediately jump to offense when we hear Jesus speak to this woman in this way. But this woman is not in any way offended. Not at all. In fact, she's doing cartwheels at the possibility of being grafted in to the kingdom of God. A thought that about 10 minutes earlier could not have been more of an impossibility. And so she says, yes, Lord, I understand. I have no prior claim to your mercy. I am not numbered among your Hebrew children. I have no right to sit at your table I have no right to eat of your food. I know I'm not worthy of any of that. But some of us dogs are hungry too. And I promise, Lord, that I will be fully satisfied with just the smallest of your crumbs. I know a scrap from you is better than a trough that overflows from any of my idols. We tend to have a problem with this text because this would not be our response. If Jesus called us dogs which I think describes properly every one of us in this room. We would demand our rights. We say, I deserve to be here with you. I deserve to eat at your banquet. I deserve the salvation that you can bring. We're offended and we completely miss it. (laughs) Because not a one of us here, not a one of us, deserves anything at all from Jesus Christ. If ever there was a dog, I am it. And until we all realize that, we are Worse off than this woman begging at Jesus' feet. He says to her, because of your great answer, that you didn't demand privilege, that you weren't entitled to something you don't deserve, that you recognize your complete and total unworthiness in God's presence, because of your great answer, or as Matthew remembers it, because of your great faith, It shall be done for you as you desire. And at that, her daughter was healed. Now the healing is miraculous, without a doubt. But it's almost given to us here as an afterthought. Because the greater spectacle was not the casting out of some demon. We've seen that any number of times before. No, what we we ought to be enthralled with is the notion that God incarnate would step outside the confines of national Israel, offer mercy to a pagan, and in so doing, foretell of a time when even Gentiles get saved. That's what the people of Ture and Sidon would remember Long after this woman and her daughter had gone. Yeah? True faith recognizes the presence of Christ. True faith demonstrates extraordinary persistence. True faith transcends every boundary and limitation so that God will receive glory. From Jew and Gentile alike. Take a look back at verse 29. Departing from there now, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. Large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. They laid them down at his feet and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, as they saw the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, other than the fact that Jesus departed from where he had been and walked along the Sea of Galilee for a time, Matthew does not tell us where exactly Jesus went. I mean, we know that he was sitting atop a mountain when these crowds gathered to him. But in what place? Among what people? Seems an important detail that our gospel writer has omitted. Well, maybe it wasn't omitted. Maybe it was assumed. You see it would have to be a place among Gentiles, perhaps in the Decapolis region to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It has to be among the Gentiles because only they would refer to Yahweh as the God of Israel. And I believe that is Matthew's entire point. That a people who were not of God, who are not with God gave glory to God after rending their hearts to Christ Jesus. Now it's true. He was sent quite specifically to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And God has given them special priority in regard to the gospel message. But his coming also proved life changing For those Gentiles who came to faith as well. After all, he was and is the savior of the world. Allowing those outside of national Israel to be accepted by God as well. That's why this crowd of Greek speakers is all of a sudden praising the God of Israel not just because they heard the mute speaking and they saw the crippled restored, but because something even more impossible had just been realized. That the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, those who are at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, That they now have a chance. And isn't that what scripture has always promised for this people? That at the coming of the Christ, they would be able to participate in his praise. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. And I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. For as Isaiah foretold, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Contrary to the expectations of the Jews, the Messiah does not limit his redemptive work to those of Hebrew origin only. They get priority, yes. But they do not get exclusivity. Which means lowly dogs like you and I have a shot. in a way that was completely beyond the realm of possibility before Christ's coming, lowly dogs like you and I have a shot. So what will we do with it? The Syrophoenician woman, she kept coming, and kept coming, and kept coming because of her great faith. The crowds in Decapolis marveled in Christ's presence and gave glory to the one true and living God. Shouldn't we follow suit? Indeed we should. And if we are a people of faith, real, lasting, genuine faith, then surely we will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to come join together in your presence. Lord, we make absolutely no claim to this being our right. We make no claim Claim of entitlement, as though we deserve this or that from you. We deserve nothing. I pray before we take one step farther forward in this journey called faith, we would stop and realize that great reality. We deserve nothing. We are the dogs, we're the cast offs. Lord, and there is no claim that we can make entitles us to salvation in your son. Help us to realize that. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to keep coming anyway. To keep coming and keep coming, Lord. That we would show that perseverance that you're looking for. Indeed, we would be joined together as children of God. Those who have no hope, no right, no privilege that we could be called the children of God by way of your son and what he did for us. Help us to know it well, Lord. We thank you for the privilege it is to gather, privilege it is to read your word, privileges we don't deserve but ones we are so very thankful for. Continue to be exalted in our midst more and more, every moment of every day we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.